Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. The love between a mother and son is something incredibly special to behold. But what happens when someone either the mother or the son, takes advantage of that bond and uses it for their own gain. On March 30th, 2004, a woman convicted of murder died peacefully in her bed. A woman who, along with her own son, committed a crime in the name of love, betrayal, and money. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Frances Berenice Schroeder, born Frances Bradshaw on April 6, 1938, lived a life like the movies. Born to one of the richest men in the country, Franklin Bradshaw, Frances was the picture of wealth and opulence. A wealth that, in Frances' opinion, was never really enough. 
kicked out of Bryn Mawr in 1958 for stealing and forging checks, told she could only return if she got psychiatric help, Frances spent the summer living at the Barbizon Hotel for Women in Manhattan, where she met a man named Vittorio Gentile at a restaurant on Lexington Avenue. She quickly married the pearl merchant and, in 1960, had her two sons, Lorenzo, who was born in February, and Marco, who was born in December. Unfortunately, the marriage was not one built to last. Now, while Frances was keen to spend her family's money, her father Franklin, known as Utah's Howard Hughes, was known to buy his clothes secondhand and carry a Coors beer carton in lieu of a briefcase. He made his fortune by starting a chain of auto parts stores and acquiring federal oil and gas leases and was known for the almost superhuman level of work ethic. In total, he was worth at least $20 million. According to authors familiar with their story, Frances was skilled in manipulating her mother to get her money, despite the fact that the ever-frugal Franklin was tired of supporting her extravagant New York lifestyle. In fact, while sitting on the board for the New York City Ballet, Frances made the largest lump sum contribution in the company's history when she handed over a check for $360,000. Money given to her, like most of her charitable contributions, by her mother. Franklin grew tired of his daughter's spending and, in the late 1970s, told her that if she didn't get a job, he was going to cut off his money supply and take her completely out of his will. Frances was furious, and though her mother slipped her money whenever she got the chance, the idea of being cut off from his money entirely was too much for the socialite to bear. So, she started making a plan. Well, actually, a few different plans that all seemed to end in failure. Like the time she attempted to set the warehouse he worked in on fire, tried to drop a toaster in his bathtub, or when she hired a so-called hitman for $5,000 who promptly skipped town. She also tried to involve her sons in her plans, sending Mark and Larry to live with their grandparents in Utah in the summer of 1977, where they would, according to a later confession, put amphetamines supplied to them by their mother in their grandfather's morning oatmeal. When that didn't work, they stole about $200,000 in stocks and cash. The heiress was getting desperate, but instead of dirtying her own hands, Frances turned to her 16-year-old son cashing in on the love between a son and his mother to do her dirty work. On July 23, 1978, Franklin Bradshaw, 76 years old at the time, was shot in the back of the head while standing behind the counter of his Salt Lake City auto parts store. When police arrived at the scene, Franklin's turned-out pockets and empty till told them that this was the case of a robbery gone wrong. But as the years passed by, and leads were few and far between, the death of the millionaire came to a complete standstill and showed signs that it was going to be lost in a sea of cold cases. That was until, two years after the mysterious murder, a woman named Marilyn Reagan was given the murder weapon by a man whom Francis Schroeder owed $3,700. According to this man, Francis's son Mark had given him the gun for safekeeping, but with a debt owed, he didn't feel the need to keep the secret any longer. It was then that the story of the bizarre mother-son relationship began to unravel, and the case of who killed Franklin Bradshaw finally saw a conclusion. With Mark safely behind bars, it was revealed that not only did the teenage boy kill his grandfather, but that the death was ordered by his overbearing mother. 
a woman who, on the surface, seemed like a charitable heiress, but was actually stealing vast sums of money from her father to fund scholarships and productions at the ballet. The story was far too good to stay within the walls of a courtroom, and soon the media went wild with stories of money, murder, and manipulation. Unwilling to believe her daughter had anything to do with her husband's death, Bernice Bradshaw paid millions of dollars in legal fees to support Francis and Mark. According to Bernice, Mark and Larry were both bad seeds, and the murder was on Mark's hands and Mark's hands alone. When Mark was just eight years old, he stayed with Bernice, who tried to limit his television consumption. His response? To go after his grandmother with a butcher's knife until she relented. Meanwhile, Larry was walking on all fours and barking like a dog at school, and had, according to one of ten nuns, tried to gouge out one of his classmates' eyes with a pair of scissors. He was also known to ask his female classmates to take down their underwear. This, in addition to the stolen $200,000 and attempt on their grandfather's life during the summer, was enough to convince some that Mark acted on his own accord and was using his mother to try and get off easier. However, not everyone can agree with this theory. Those who place the blame on Frances believe she used an abusive form of triangulation and a Svengali-like sway to manipulate her son and use him to carry out her dirty work. Whatever hold she may have had on her son seemed to wear off by the time her trial date came around. Mark, already convicted of second-degree murder in 1982, testified against his mother and said that she told him that there would be no home for him to return to if he didn't kill his grandfather. When he returned to New York after the deed was done, she smothered him in affection for the first time in his life. Francis Schroeder was later convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life behind bars. Mark Schroeder was paroled in 1994, following 12 years behind bars, and after just 13 years, Francis was released as well. While in prison, Francis earned a psychology degree and worked briefly for the Marriott Corporation in Salt Lake City before relocating to San Diego. She spent the rest of her life living comfortably off the money her mother received from her father's life insurance policy. And, though some tried to argue a convicted killer receiving money from their victim, the judge ruled that it was within Bernice Bradshaw's right to choose her heir. When Bernice died... Frances was the main beneficiary of what remained of her fortune. Frances B. Schroeder died on March 30th, 2004, at the age of 65. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on March 31st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.